Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 25 of the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I speak to the chief of Kameno Island Fire and Rescue. Please welcome Levan Yungoyan. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kamena Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, hope you guys all had a great Christmas. Um, uh, yeah, I had, I think I had a good Christmas. Hey, uh, this is actually being recorded prior to Christmas, so it's kind of tricky, huh? It's weird talking to you in the future and the past at the same time. Anyways, uh, back to the actual story of what I'm trying to talk about. Um, this podcast, I got to speak with Levon Youngoyan. Youngoyan. I'm going to get that wrong multiple times. Um, and uh, we get to talk about his history in small business before becoming the fire chief of Burlington Fire Department. And then later on, um, currently, the fire chief of Kamano Island Fire and Rescue. So um, it, it's a great conversation. We get to talk about... How did he bring in the lessons from uh, being a small business owner and the managing a team, leading, transitioning into a leadership role with the uh, uh, Burlington Fire Department, and then the biggest differences and challenges between being in a single uh, single station Burlington Fire Department versus uh, moving to Camino Island, where there's multiple fire stations. And so we get into all of that in the, our conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Levon Youngoyan. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today I'm here with Levon Youngoyan, the fire chief of the Camino Island Fire. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brad. I'm happy to be here. So before we get started, tell us a little about Levon. Um, gosh, I don't know what to say. I don't really like talking about myself, but uh, I grew up in Michigan, uh, in Ann Arbor. My dad was a professor there. He was an anthropologist. So as a young age, we traveled all over the world. We lived in Australia. My mom's Filipino. I spent a lot of time in the Philippines. I think I went to five different uh, schools during grade school alone. Um, but ended up coming out west and just fell in love with the Pacific Northwest and moved to Kamano in 98 and just uh, just love being here. Just It's uh, an incredible community to be part of. Very cool. So what, what was that like growing up in so many different cause cultures and areas? and Yeah, you know, a lot of it, I was so young, I don't remember a lot of it, but I know that it's impacted me. I certainly have a lot of... Um, I'd like to think I have some perspective for the rest of the world. In fact, for the last couple of years, my wife and I have been trying to do a lot of traveling with our son, who's now, well, he just turned 17. Okay. But it's such a formative age to, to uh, travel, right? And yeah. see that the rest of the world doesn't live the way we do. So right. uh, I think that just kind of imparted me from a young age, the importance of seeing how other people in this world live. Right. And I think <clears throat> this, you know, we're at a special time in, in life, not just life, but in our in this, I don't know, timeline, <laughs> but basically that, that travel is so much more affordable and, and easier to do than it has ever been in the past. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's amazing how uh, in some worlds, in some ways the world seems to get really small because it is to travel. Mm -hmm. Yet when you get out there, you realize, gosh, it's so different in different places and it's really quite vast. Right. And, and not only that, but the difference <clears throat> people live, you know, we, 
in America or even in the Northwest, you get in these microcosms of how people live and you think this is how people live. Yeah. And when you go and travel, you see how people live in a completely different way. And yet it's exactly what they've always, you know, it's how they've lived and they're perfectly happy living the way they do. Yeah. You know, we uh, traveled to Vietnam a couple of years ago when we were up in the Hmong region in northern Vietnam uh, with people that subsistence farm in some incredibly tough conditions. And I guess just really naive on my part, but it was amazing to me to see that while they lived in conditions that we would consider quite um, uh, difficult to live in, small houses, everybody <clears throat> crammed into one, one room, they all had smartphones. They were all on Google. They all watch YouTube. They're all on Facebook. So again, very different from how we live, but yet very connected in a different way. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's for sure something that the internet has brought around. That's just the communication around the world is just incredible. Yeah. And the fact that we can stay in touch with some of those people, it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Um, so you said you moved to Camino in 98. Uh, what brought you to Camino Island? You know, uh, I used to have a small consulting firm, and uh, my wife and I, we had a couple of business partners, and we were all living in Seattle, and we all just wanted to move out of the city. We just wanted to be somewhere a little bit more rural, a little bit more connected with community, and uh, we searched, we looked up in North Bend, we looked over in Eastern Washington, and they did a trip up here, and they called us and said, we love Camano Island. Uh, we are moving there. <laughs> you are happy to move here. We'd love it. We can relocate our business here. Or if you want to go wherever else, we'll be happy to commute. But we need to be on Camino. And so my wife and I came up one day and I think just kind of fell in love with it that very day. I, I'll never forget driving down the hill from Hagen's into town. It was a beautiful sunny day. And just seeing the water, seeing the islands, seeing the mountains, uh, we were hooked from day one. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Then I mean, I've said it so many times on this podcast, but that's so many people's story of how they discovered and moved to Camino is immediately driving on. They're like, oh, this is where I'm going to set down roots. Yeah. And yet you talk to so many people and they say, what, where? Like it's so unheard of in a lot of ways. I think we're all very fortunate to be here. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so actually I want to touch on that. So you, you said you had a consulting firm then what was the name of that and what was the what was its focus? Yeah, so I ended up going to grad school at University of Washington. And when I was doing my graduate study, I ended up getting involved in geographic information systems, GIS, which is essentially, uh, people think of it as mapping, but it's much more. It's, it's spatial analysis of information and, and data visualization. And at that time, GIS was really new. Of course, we see it everywhere today. But I kind of found a niche. And so a, a partner that I met in grad school, he and I started a company, it was called TerraLogic GIS, and uh, we ran that here in town. We were in the granary building for many, many years in Stanwood upstairs. Yeah, and um, yeah, we ended up, you know, we had maybe five, six employees, kind of just small business that was really, we had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, so so geographic information, do you mean geological, like, Geological side or no? No, really. It's geographic in the sense that uh, anything that has a spatial component, which when you start to think of it, is really almost everything. I'll never forget at one point uh, we were doing a project. We were working on mapping all the groundfish habitat on the entire West Coast uh, with National Marine Fisheries Service. And at the same time, I was talking to somebody who wanted to map nerve centers in monkey brains. Again, they both have a spatial component at a very different scale. And it just, uh, it was one of the things I just kind of fell in love with that industry was how do you apply this, again, at the time was very new way of looking at data and doing statistical analysis 
on problems that we never thought you could apply it to in the past. Wow, that's that's very cool. And what was your degree again? Uh, my master's is in wildlife biology, wildlife science. Okay. Yeah. So were you, was your plan to continue on in that path of wildlife and... Uh, you know, when I got out of school, yes, it was. I worked for a, a consulting firm in Seattle as a biologist for a bit, but um, I think the GIS piece really kind of struck me. And then, oddly enough, I kind of just fell in love with being a small business owner. I really liked uh, running an organization, having employees. Um, yeah, that was a part that I never really thought I would gravitate to, but I just ended up loving it. Yeah, that's that's neat. So um, so then you were, how how many years were you doing that then? Oh, boy. I think we had that company for about maybe seven or eight years, and then we sold it and then continued to work for the company that bought us for another few years after that. Okay. So you were doing that. And then how did you transition from that into, uh, or did you transition from that into fire department, or did you go somewhere else first? You know, I spent a few years working with a local land developer company. Um, they were based out of Arlington and it was again before the crash. So development was really big, but our concept there was to really try and create more community neighborhoods. Um, no, don't know if you're familiar with new urbanism, but it was really that concept of our neighborhoods should be places where people connect, not just drive into your garage because that's at the front of the house and you go in and you don't never see your neighbors. So how do right. you create walkable communities with places to go and gather um, really get people out of their homes, out of their garages, out of their driveways and create community feel. So I worked with them for a few years and of course 2008 hit um, and then just was time to make a change into something else. Yeah. So then did you guys complete some of these neighborhoods then? Uh, smaller ones we did in the Arlington area. We were working on a very large one in Arlington that unfortunately when the timing it never materialized but uh, it was unfortunate. We traveled around to look at some new urbanism developments in various parts of the country and uh, was really fascinated by that concept, how do you bring people together? Right. <clears throat> well, and kind of connects back to our earlier part of this conversation, but just that um, despite the fact that we have instant communication at our fingertips at all times, you know, the community aspect really does, has suffered from that to some degree. You know, it's interesting. Again, as I said, I have a 17 year old son and, you know, I think about it, we talk about it a lot. What is connection? He connects with people via his phone, via, I want him to go play with his friends, and he does. We were out at a, a fire department event one day, and a friend of his came along, and at the end of the day, we were driving back home, and John says to his friend, do you want to hang out? And his friend says, yeah. And John says, okay, well, when I get home, I'll call you. And I was just like, well, doesn't hanging out mean like you're physically together? But but it doesn't. So yeah, I guess it's part of us getting older and having to see that you know things change. Yeah, well, and, and on the other hand of that too, like growing up, um, obviously I didn't have a cell phone, but, um, my friend and I, one of us, we were, or both of us were really good friends and we would spend, we would go and like do a whole day trip together. Like we would go out to like Friday Harbor, uh, his grandparents would take us there and we'd be on the ferry together, be hanging out, um, then ferry back, get home. They would drop me off at my home. And as soon as they dropped me off, I'd be like, Hey, give me a call when you get home. Yeah. And then we would talk for the next few hours, which yeah. of course was an issue because, Back then, your phone line was also your internet line, and you only had one line. So <laughs> then my parents would eventually kick us off. But that was, uh, yeah, I mean, and you had that the balance of both, though, right? That yeah. balance of together. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I hate to sound like an old fuddy duddy, but it's interesting <laughs> watching my son and trying to, you know, understand how he connects and he relates versus what we grew up with, mm -hmm. and not always saying, "Well, you should do it our way," but say. This is how it's done these days. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That made me sound really old. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, 
okay, so then you were doing that. And then actually, I want to follow that question up a little bit with, um, do you, is that something you still kind of look into to see what neighbor development, developmenting, developing, that's the word, (laughs) developing neighborhoods, um, if they're building more of that type of model? Uh, you know, no, not, not really. I think, um, it's interesting how developments go, um, yeah, I was, my wife and I love to go walk neighborhoods. Uh, we've mm-hmm. always liked to do that and kind of look at architecture and think about neighborhoods and, and that type of thing. Um, so we do that just kind of from a, just because it's something that we've always enjoyed. My wife grew up in Michigan as well. Oddly enough, we met in Seattle, but okay. she grew up about 20 minutes from me. And uh, it's just, it was different back in the Midwest. I think the town's very different than Western Washington, a lot older towns, uh, different types of neighborhoods. So um, yeah, we just we love walking around and kind of seeing how things develop, how homes are built, and uh, what they kind of do for that neighborhood feel. Yeah, no, and I, I experienced that a little bit in Charleston. There's different, th- you know, things are just laid out yeah. different and how they do things. And um, one of the things that we came across that we noticed over in Charleston versus like Seattle is you get these neighborhoods that are um, like architecturally very well designed, like just very aesthetically pleasing and neat, like how they put it together and how it was all put together. It seems like it was put together as a vision of like the entirety, not just like one house was like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, And so we're looking around like, man, the architecture over here is really neat. And you go to, you know, a lot of places in Washington, you look at the architecture, it's not that complex and it's not really... I don't know. There's, it's not like it's all designed as one always. And um, But one of the things we notice is like, but when you're in Charleston, like your surrounding isn't like it's flat. It is like when you go up on a bridge that goes up above sea level a little ways, like you can see as far as your eye can see, like right. and there's nothing. Um, and there's not a whole lot of natural beauty. I mean, there's the ocean, but right. like there's nothing on your other side and it's just flat and kind of, I don't know, nothing yeah. there. Versus you come back here and, like, no one's looking at the buildings. They're looking at the mountains and the rivers and the ocean and, like, everything over here. So our conclusion was that we've got so much natural beauty that we're just like, eh, whatever, with our architecture. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting to see how things take shape over time. Right? Yeah. It's like a lot of our stuff is built all at once where cities like Charleston's evolved over so much time. And now they re-evolve. We were in... Uh, Portugal last year, and again, you know, talk about old, right? Talk about evolving over time yeah. and seeing how the impacts in Lisbon of the earthquake that happened and the flood that happened and the fire that happened, how it reshaped these neighborhoods uh, to what they are today. Yeah, it's, yeah. It was really wonderful to see. Yeah. Very cool. So then you moved from building neighborhoods and stuff, the crash happened. What happened next? Um, you know, I had obviously I've been with the uh, fire department since we moved up in 1998. I think we moved here in August and I joined the fire department in September. So kind of right from the get go. So I've been a volunteer here for many years. And so in uh, 2008, I was just kind of looking for a different change. I'd done some work um, with our GIS firm with a bunch of different fire departments in the area. And it was kind of a fun way to combined two interests of mine, both the fire service as well as the GIS. Yeah. Um, but in 2008, uh, there was just an opportunity to come here and do some work for the fire department full time. And uh, just kind of things worked out kind of just perfectly at that time for me to come to work for the fire department as a full time employee. 
Right. And so <clears throat> when when was the actual transition from the volunteer fire department to the, the actual established one? You know, so again, I started in 1998. In January of 1999, we hired our first three career firefighters. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, 20 years ago, it's hard to believe that it's yeah. been that long. And in fact, in September, we had one of those three individuals that retired after, you know, 20 years serving as a full-time firefighter. We had also volunteered with our organization for seven or eight years before that. So Very cool. 1999 was first three on days, and then it's kind of just evolved uh, through the years to what it is today. Okay, so then you were you started in 2008 as a full time. Correct. Um, and uh, what happened next then? Uh, you know, served here from 2008 until 2016, and just. Uh, had the pleasure of you know working with all the wonderful people here and under the fire chief at the time. And then in 2016, the opportunity came up in Burlington. They were looking for a fire chief, and I was the assistant chief here at the time. And it just seemed like a great opportunity to kind of spread my wings, get some different experience, work in a different type of system, uh, take on that role of fire chief, which is very different than being the assistant chief. And so I was up there for almost three years until I got invited to come back. Okay, so then what was the some of the like the biggest differences you noticed in working in like um, like a smaller fire department versus Burlington? Well, actually, Burlington at the time was a smaller fire department than Camano. Burlington, because we think of Burlington as that big area, but really the city of Burlington is four and a half square miles. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so it's much smaller, served out of just one station. Um, so a lot of differences in the type of service that's provided there, uh, four and a half square miles, you know, Burlington, right? Costco, yeah. Best Buy, a very, very large commercial industrial uh, core, um, still some great kind of neighborhoods in the old part of the city. Mm -hmm. um, but versus Camano, 45 square miles, primarily residential, very little commercial. So it was a very different type of service there. Um, also different working for a city versus working for a fire district. That presents um, a lot of differences in, in how we operate, what the responsibility is. Um, but besides the differences, you know, the things that are the same, which is incredible people. This department here is so full of great passionate, compassionate people that, that really, truly believe in service. And Burlington was the same way. I can't say enough about uh, the people in that organization. Yeah. Well, what are some of the, the differences in the, um, like operating in a city versus rural? Yeah. Um, a lot of operational differences just in terms of, you know, operating um, a ladder truck and providing a section of highway that goes through. So a lot of those types of things that we don't have here. Um, also interesting, you know, one of the reasons I love Kameno, it's very unique. And mm -hmm. from a fire perspective, it's very unique in how we have to serve here. Burlington, I'm surrounded by Mount Vernon to the south of us, districts that are around us. There's help coming from all these different areas when we have that large call or we have multiple calls going on at the same time. Uh, we don't have that on the island, right? We have right. one point of access, as everybody knows, and it's at the very, very northeast corner of the island. So when we need help, it can only come from one place. And so it just creates for some different dynamics in terms of how do we <clears throat> prepare for uh, quality response, quick response, when we get those large calls, when we have those multiple calls at one time, how do we get effective help that comes quickly? Um, you know, we rely so much and we're so grateful to North County Fire Authority next door mm -hmm. uh, for coming out and, and helping us. And we do the same. We go back and forth with mutual aid. But, um, yeah, we, we can't do it alone. Yeah. Well, and that was I, I actually just did an uh, interview with Luke Planbeck with the mm. sheriff's um, department. And, um, yeah, it was it was really fascinating to talk with him and kind of asking him some of the questions of like, 
how do these different departments, you know, um, because technically we're, we're Island County versus, you know, Snohomish County and Stanwood. And yet both of us are very far away from our main County headquarters of right. Whidbey and Snohomish. So, yeah. um, like do you, I'm assuming you guys all work together pretty regularly on, on different either emergencies or projects. Yeah, between the sheriff's office and us or the other fire departments? And well, also. I guess both. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I was speaking to the fire departments. Yeah, we do. I think it's one of the things that we've done a good job of. Our, our training officers have done a good job of coordinating what we call multi-company operations. So, you know, we train a lot individually as companies. We train a lot with our crews together, but we try and get together regularly with North County and Arlington um, so we can make sure that we train together. When mm-hmm. when they come here or we go there to help, that we're operating with similar terminology, Right. That we understand similar tactics and do those things. It's an important part of that seamless response. So uh, the training officers um, have done a great job of making sure that we get that regular training together. In fact, we just hosted a um, pump operations class out here, and we had people from, I think, North County, Arlington, um, Tulalip Bay, a number of fire departments came out here to do some training. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Yeah. and I I think that, you know, (laughs) when there's a fire emergency going on, that's the last time you want miscommunication on aspects. So. Absolutely. It is so critical. It's something, you know, the common terminology piece is something we work really, really hard at. And also, it always just helps to know people. When people come up on scene and you know them, you yeah. know their capabilities, you know that you can trust them to go do whatever job they're going to do. Uh, it just makes everything run a lot smoother. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. So, yeah, actually, that that's a good question, though. Um, how does the, the fire department and the sheriff department, how many do they integrate um, and and all of that. Yeah, obviously we have a lot of overlap in the types of calls that we go to. Uh, you know, we've had a really great relationship with the sheriff's office for many, many years back to, you know, when I was here before. Um, yeah, I think that that, uh, that part of the response has really been great. I think we help each other out quite a bit. Uh, since I've been back here, I've been meeting pretty regularly with, with the sheriff, with Rick Felici. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been great. You know, some things that we can work on doing better together, some area, other areas that we could maybe provide some additional services together. Uh, it's a wonderful partnership. Yeah. And when you guys end up, like when you get a, a 911 call, is it automatic that you both are supposed to arrive there? Or is there like sp- certain things where it's like, no, we just need these people? Yeah, no, we're dispatched. Um, we definitely have the calls that we go on on our own, and they okay. go on the calls on their own, and then we have those calls that inter- overlap together. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And that all happens on the back end of... Yeah, you know, the um, I guess the, the dispatchers, ICOM is the organization that does our dispatch for okay. both the fire department and the sheriff's office. And, uh, you know, dispatchers are kind of the unsung heroes, right? It's like, how many television shows are there about firefighters or police officers, but not a whole lot about dispatchers? Um, they have a very challenging job, a very stressful job. And that's, that's, you know, that's what they do is they answer that call and they say, what resources are needed to send help? And they, they get us coming. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, I think, um, you know, if you're if you've done sales or any sort of like phone thing, sometimes when the phone rings, it's like a little stressful because you're just like, oh, is this another problem? Is this a sales call? What is this? But like to to know that every phone call you're gonna get is an emergency. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if this is gonna be a problem. Yeah, probably if somebody's <laughs> having an issue. Yeah. <laughs> wonder if there's like some sort of thing like they're like, I just don't answer my cell phone anymore. <laughs> That is a that is a tough tough job. I'm sure. And if you go and sit with them for a few hours and watch them do their work, it's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you know, there's so many different um, organizations as well as you know. I was talking to Luke a little bit, and actually, some of this was off 
off the off the podcast because we had stopped recording. And he's like, "Oh, you should have recorded that." But we talked about a little bit about the the stresses and how do you how do you guys deal with the stresses of mm. knowing that you're going into a a stressful situation. It's a it's not going to be an easy day at work. It's there's some major things that are going on. Brandy, you know, this is something that. Uh, is really near and dear to my heart, but something that we're as an industry coming more and more to terms with is understanding the emotional impact. We know the physical impact mm-hmm. of, um, of a long career in this industry, but the emotional impact is something that we're still you know, struggling, I think, to get a handle on. Uh, firefighter suicides, law enforcement suicides are through the roof. Um, and in fact, we're starting a new, uh, what's called a peer support program for next year, where we send a few of our firefighters to get that training so that, you know, one, they can keep an eye out for people that they work with. If they notice some difficulties or somebody's having some troubles at home that are odd or they're adding kind of, they're acting inconsistent, I think, with their normal behavior. Or if there's an especially tough call, maybe they can lead a little bit of a discussion after to help debrief some of that. Um, I read an article a couple of years ago, and they said that the research is really <clears throat> changing in terms of people think of PTSD, or they think about that one large incident that causes trauma, mm-hmm. um, which is absolutely true. But what they're learning is <clears throat> a lot of it now, it's like concussions. It's not just the one big concussion, it's the multiple concussions day after day after day. So uh, I think it's important that we help our firefighters and our law enforcement officers find an outlet for that, find a way to release some of that. Otherwise, it builds up to some potentially very detrimental consequences. Right. And, and also, I think, um, I'm curious, is there also training that you guys work with, like the spouses of these people? Because that's also another thing of for the spouse to try and not fully understand, but support their spouse in that because, you know, they may come home and just like, you know, be dealing with a lot. And how does the spouse help in that? It it really is. You know, I think that's another area that we're not uh, doing a good enough job of serving our firefighters and their families. Um, I think as we get this up and going, it's something we've talked about in this program is how do we send those resources or make those resources available at home or even just the awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was up in Burlington for just three months when the shooting at the Cascade Mall happened. And so mm, we brought yeah. in a, uh, we call it critical incident stress management, right? We debrief after those calls. Um, we did a number of those with the responders, and then we actually hosted a session for all the responders' families so that they could come in uh, and be part of that debrief process and say, you know, you're, you may be seeing these things at home with your spouse or your father, and, and they're normal, and here's why. Um, it was really interesting to see it work in that instance. Mm-hmm. But again, that was around the one big call. Right. How do we do that more regularly? Yeah. No, it's definitely something, you know, I think it's it has, like you said, the research is there. There's starting to be more studies and all of these things, whereas, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was kind of just, well, it's part of the job and we're going right. to move forward. But, like, I'm glad to see a lot of that changing and me too. Firefighter health and safety has been a real uh, push, uh, certainly, again, from the, the physical side. Uh, there was a large initiative in the state a number of year ago, years ago called Healthy and Healthy Out, trying to make firefighters aware of you know some of the dangers that are there, especially around cancers and things like that. Um, and this, the mental health aspect is just it's the next wave of that exact same thing. Yeah. No, I think that's that's great. And, you know, I've I've talked to you know, I talked to uh, Paige um, with Casa, but you know, she was working, it's different, it's animals, but they get the same thing where they can get not to the same level. Um, but like they can get to these, um, emotional fatigue yeah. because you care for these animals 
and then when things go bad or you know you lose one and it feels like you've lost your own dog right and right like people we've had definitely employees and stuff who have dealt with that and you know some, some you know sometimes if it's a close enough animal to them they're like it's like losing a loved one they're like i need to call out today and you know yeah and there's just totally makes sense but to get that Every, you know, a lot more frequent than a normal person does in a normal day, you know, normal life. Right, um, right. It just compounds all of that. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, bring awareness, give tools as we just keep doing whatever we can do. But I'm really excited about the peer support program we're starting up. Yeah. No, that's that's really neat. Um, <clears throat> okay. So then um, with uh, – I was actually reading one of your articles, but you were talking about that uh, – I think it was when you had moved back here, but you were saying, like – as a fire chief, you really enjoyed bringing back some of that small business aspect of that manage, team management. And um, how, have, how have you continued to expand that in, in the fire department? Um, you know, it's interesting in, in, the, in thinking about coming back. And I knew that, like, leaving for Burlington, starting my own business, um, very different <clears throat> than leaving and then coming back somewhere. And so I've really been trying to be... Um, very mindful of what it means to come back here. A lot of existing relationships, long, long relationships, which are great, and it's great to reconnect with those, but also to make sure that I was also coming in with a fresh set of eyes and not making assumptions about this, that, or the other, because I know that I've changed in the last three years quite a bit, and because of that, I know that every single person here has changed a lot in the last three years. We're all, we are who we are at our core, but but people are different, and right. people grow, and then they change. And so trying to, again, I think, come in with that fresh set of eyes and take a look. Um, the other side of that, maybe more to your question, though, is I've also been trying to be really strategic about how that works. Um, I think uh, part of me is just... Um, part of it is just kind of, you kind of go with what you know, right? Deep down, you, you know what's right and yeah. you kind of you run with it. But I also want to really be strategic about how do we go about assessing where we are, assessing our service, building our leadership team, right? Supporting our firefighters, providing better service to the community. Uh, it's been really fun, really challenging uh, last six months since I've been back. Uh, and I, I think about it almost, <laughs> my wife would say constantly. Uh, I'm trying to not think about it constantly, but um, I love the challenge. I love grappling with some of the issues and, and the things that are coming up. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, as, as leaders, it's our job to, I mean, lead is part of that and really empowering others and working with others and, um, you know, w growing that leadership team around us, not just trying to be the sole person that yeah. handles everything flows through. Yes. Yep. Um, exactly. And that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the, that's really the level of leader versus, you know, just being manager or things like that. It's that next step. Right. And interesting, you know, you asked a little bit about the difference in Burlington and here. In Burlington, uh, it was one station. And so I saw everybody every day. Whew, does that make communications a whole lot easier, right? Yeah. Here, while spread out, again, 45 square miles, multiple stations, our administration office, it's a lot harder to do that. It takes a lot more time to go and see everybody or have to rely on messages being passed down via officers meetings or emails or things like that. I really like the face-to-face right. -face interpersonal interaction. Yeah. Uh, just takes more time here to get to everybody. So it's just, again, one of the differences and one of the um, again, one of those things that I grapple with, how do I, how do I communicate? How do I over communicate what we're doing and where we're going and, and those types of ideas? Right. And how many stations are on Camino? 
There are four stations okay. on Camino. There used to be five, and the district sold uh, one at Camino City last year. So okay. we have four stations and then the administration office just across the street here at Terry's Corner. Yep. Okay. And then are you... is. Ca- is Camino connected to the like Island County as far as like Whidbey and them? Yeah, because uh, absolutely, because we're part of Island County, so we're yeah. tied there in a lot of ways. Now, we are our own taxing district, right? We are our own government okay. with our own elected officials, but we certainly work with Island County for. Uh, you know, the assessments and the tax collections and things like that. And a lot of areas that we overlap in terms of uh, medical program control, obviously emergency management, just a lot of functions that we provide that overlap with so much of Island County. Got it. Okay. But I always think what's interesting, one of the things I love about Camino, uh, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but I mean, we're the only form of government that's truly just serving Camino Island. Mm-hmm. Right? It's Island County government. It's Stanwood Camino School District. It's Snow Owl Library. Like we are the only form of government that's here just for Camino Islanders, and I really like that part of it. Yeah, no, that's that's very cool. Um, and does the fire department? It operates as a, a government office, but does it, in some ways, does it function more like a small business in the sense of how it's managed and run? Uh, Yes and no. Okay. You know, I think um, government really is its own entity, and we have a very um, different purpose. I love, I read a book a number of years ago by Peter Drucker, who was a management yeah. theorist, right? Yeah, yeah Peter. And uh, well, I'm sure you studied him, right, in school. And it was about, um, you know, mission, vision, values, which I very strongly believe in, but talking about it from a nonprofit perspective versus a for profit perspective. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had that same idea around government, right? Like we exist. Uh, what Drucker said was, you know, for-profit companies exist to make a business. Nonprofit companies exist to make a difference. Uh, whether you believe that or not, you know, yeah. certainly not every company, but I kind of like that thought. I mean, we are here to make a difference in people's lives and in their quality of life. Right. Um, so that part is different. At the same time, yeah, absolutely. I just think so many of the principles are the same. I think we can learn a lot from private business. I think you know, it's one of the things that I try and bring is my private business background in terms of how do we operate, how do we manage, how do we lead, how do we do those things. So it's been a really fun balance of like, uh, there's the business side of it and there's the government side of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's neat. And it's good that like, it, it's, I think it's very helpful to have, again, it's that sharing of perspectives and culture, mm. whether that's culture perspectives in a, inside of a company or business, or if that's across borders, or I do think both sides are definitely... Um, it's always helpful to have more of a broader perspective on who you're working with um, and and just it's just helpful for people. Yeah, um, without a doubt. I love the old adage, you know, if you have two team members that agree on something, you have one too many team members. Right? I really like to foster that, uh, especially in our leadership team, the diversity of thought. You know, It's okay that we argue. It's okay that we disagree. It's okay that we have those different perspectives yeah. that you're talking about. Because it makes us stronger. It makes us better when we can do that. When, when we can have healthy conflict right, yeah. is when we're healthiest. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, yeah, all of those bring great perspectives and different you know, ideas and things that you never would have thought of and challenged on, um, you know, being challenged on certain ideas that, you know, you may think this is a great idea and you're going to run down the road with it. And then someone asks you like one pointed question <laughs> on like one break point and then you stop for a second. You're like, wait, no. You're right. You're right. That, won't work. <laughs> that was a terrible idea. <laughs> but yeah. We've had some of those. <laughs> yeah. I have too. 
Um, a lot of times it's my wife who's like, no, that's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, right. And surround yourself with your wife and somebody that's not afraid to tell it like it is too, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 No. And it's been, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned in the podcast before, but my, my brother-in-law um, and sister own the coffee roaster company. And then my wife and I own the marketplace now. Um, but my brother-in-law, brother-in-law and I talk all the time on different, like, well, what if we did this? Yeah. And then we'll like kind of go back and forth. And then sometimes it's like, no, you're right. That's a terrible idea. Why was I thinking that? <laughs> um, but then that's, sometimes you mention something and they're, you know, it's like, well, yeah, but you could do take this spin instead of shooting it down. It's like building a pawn. Right. Um, and again, it's just adding that new perspective and then you can really turn it into something. It's, it, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, people tease me here. They would tease me in Burlington all the time that I would love to, like sometimes I come in the morning because I'm a morning person. I'd come in early and I'd say, okay, everybody in the conference room and I love like writing at the whiteboard and we would just like brainstorm ideas and you know sometimes nothing came out of it and sometimes really great things came out of it but just that interplay with people uh, gets us places that we couldn't alone right and I think one of the thing one of the um, he's an author and he has a podcast but uh, do you know who Tim Ferriss is oh yeah Uh Um, one of his things he mentions in the beginning of his podcast and it's it's the foundation for his like four hour work week which is one of his biggest books um, but was just asking the question, what if I did the opposite of like what everyone else does? What if I did the opposite? And sometimes it's like, no, there's a reason everyone does it this way. Right. But sometimes there's not. And sometimes it's just the way it's always done. And, you know, we're in a mode right now with me coming in where we're kind of we're trying to assess how we're doing. Right. And we're trying to ask those questions. What if we did the opposite or what if we did this and working with our officers and working with our leadership team, um, looking at trying to make some changes. And one of the officers asked, well, you know, is it okay if we look at these things and we decide it's not a good idea? It's like, you know, that's probably the best of all cases, right? Yeah. That we take that critical look that we say, you know, can we be doing things better? And if we come back to, nope, we're doing the right thing right now, that's that's perfect. Yeah. But yet we take that look. That's important. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, this is circling back a little bit, but what has been your most um, successful way to make sure that communication is going around all four stations and getting passed down to everyone? Um, you know, I was recommended a book that I'm just starting to read um, by Lencioni called The Advantage. It's about organizational health. And uh, in it, he talks about the roles of a leader. Uh, your number one job is to form a strong leadership team. Your number two job is to develop organizational clarity. Your number three job is to over-communicate that clarity. And I love that. And I think that's... Uh, you know, I think that's what I'm trying to do is over-communicate. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it's a combination of trying to send out emails, but emails are really impersonal, and I just think that uh, we're already inundated with so many emails yeah. as it is. Um, I have two great assistant chiefs, so we are working to make sure that we're on the same page, that mm-hmm. we send a consistent message. We have a leadership team and officer core working with them to make sure they're sending a consistent message. And then a lot of just going around. I'd like to, again, I'm a morning person, so yeah. I like to get in the office early. I'm, I'm my <clears> most productive in the morning. And uh, I'm also a bit of an extrovert, so I recharge by being with people. So in the afternoon, I like to just go visit the stations and talk to people. And uh, sometimes it's just catching up on personal things and how are things are going, but usually it evolves into you know, questions or ideas or just where, you know, what kind of things are happening in the fire department. But it's challenging. Yeah. It's challenging. Yeah, and do you guys have, um, do you all go on a rotation of nights and days, or are there specific people that mainly work days and nights? Yeah, so our firefighters work 48-hour shifts. Okay. So we, uh, if you're a firefighter, you're assigned to either A shift, B shift, or C shift, and your shift works two days on 
and four days off. Okay. Two days on, four days off. So, um, so somebody's always on, uh, of course. Um, but it also makes it a little bit more challenging to try and get teams together because right. nobody's ever working together in a regular right. company. You can call a meeting at two o'clock and everybody's there. We yeah. can't do that. So that makes it a little bit more challenging, but yeah, yeah. they work a shift schedule. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, we, I, I have a little bit of that um, in, in the retail side is that, you know, you only have a handful of your vast pool of, of team members that you're pulling from, you know, to be on shift for that day. Right. So then, and then team meetings and stuff like that, when you're trying to do that, you're asking someone that's probably worked an eight-hour day already, like, hey, can you stay an extra two hours right. for a meeting? Right. I'm you constantly know. asking people to come back in for a meeting for this or for yeah. that or training this, that. Yep. Yep. So it's just, you know, it's, it adds that other aspect to it for sure. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, again, back to our earlier conversation around technology and changing, maybe that's an area needing to embrace of, goodness knows, with so much telecommuting and people work all over the world collaboratively, yeah. right? I should be able to do it within 45 square miles. So <laughs> I think there's some opportunities there for some improvement. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I like to end um, every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is, do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? Um, it's kind of on Camino Island. So a few years ago, I started paddle boarding. Oh, okay. And uh, we live down kind of near Iverson Beach. Oh, and so yes. one of yeah. my favorite things to do, I haven't been very good this year because of my new job, but uh, to paddle out and in the middle of Port Susan Bay, there are some old pilings. And uh, I can paddle out there in about 45 minutes an hour. Uh, there's nobody around for miles. It's the, usually the sun is rising. It's super peaceful. I love to jump in, go for a swim, and then paddle back. And uh, so it's just a, it's a great bit of solitude in, in a very, you know, kind of crowded world, I guess. Yeah. No, that's I, I do think that's something very special about uh, Camino is that you can find those places. Um, yeah. We went to Arrowhead Ranch, and um, we went down. I went down to the axe-throwing area, and it was where the end of Stanwood and Camino Chamber Joint Chamber meeting. We're doing a barbecue. Yeah, um, yeah, I was there that night. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you, and then I didn't get a chance to yeah. say. <laughs> I was like, oh, there, uh, that was him. Um, but uh, but yeah, we got to go down to the axe throwing before everyone else had gone down, and um, it was just like it, it's not that much farther down, but it's far enough away you can't hear the highway. Yeah. It's just peaceful and quiet, and the sun was setting, and I was like, this is this is really neat. Like just yeah. being able to take that deep breath. Yeah, those kind of places are. And there are a lot of them on the island Yeah, are really yeah. wonderful. So, very cool. All right. Um, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town um, who hasn't been to Camino Island before. What would their first day here look like? Uh, so, again, grew up in Michigan, and we would have a lot of family that come would come out and visit. And I think my favorite thing when they would come, it's just, it was the quintessential Northwest day, is that we could get up early. We used to have a boat. We could put in, we'd drop crab pots, yep. maybe run over to Coopville for a little cinnamon roll at the need and feed, come back. In a couple of hours, you could be up hiking on a glacier, and then you could come back in the evening, pick up your crab pots, and boil crab on the beach. And to me, that just epitomizes the best of the Northwest, the best yeah. of Camino, right, with access to the water, our beautiful area, access to the mountains. Yep. So, uh, that would always be my favorite thing to do with somebody when they first come here. Yeah. No, that's... that's it is like we have Camino, which is its own very unique and neat place to hang out and explore. But we're also an hour drive away from the North Cascade, and you can go so many different levels and hikes. And it's, yeah, it's really neat. Yeah. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Um, you know, I, I think there's a... 
it's one of the things I love about Kamehameha. There's so many interesting people yeah. that you just don't expect to to live here, and mm-hmm. then you meet them, and you're like, you did what? Um, Bruce Brown is a uh, very well-known coach in the sports field. Bruce has been uh, kind enough to help the fire department with some work on our leadership team. Um, I only had the pleasure of meeting Bruce within the last three or four months since I've come back. He is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely somebody I think would be interesting to talk to. Very yeah. cool. Did um, Do you know some of the teams or sports coaching stuff he's done? Uh, you know, he's worked with a lot of high school teams. I know that he worked with uh, Chip Kelly when he was in Oregon. And then when Chip went to the NFL, uh, Bruce did some work with them. So he's worked with different types of teams all over the country. Yeah, yeah. no, that would be fascinating. Yeah. And I, I hope he's okay with me telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if he's kind of semi-retired now, but he has just been, uh, I just can't say enough about him in the short time that I've gotten to know him. Very cool. Um, okay, lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Camino Island right as you're driving up the hill, what would that say? <laughs> That's such a hard question. I've never <laughs> thought about that. Um, I think I would have to take a page out of Aristotle's book, and I w- it would say, serve people, do good. Yeah, yeah. short and sweet. And short and sweet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate being here. All right, and Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Levon for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us to be found by either other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode or previous episodes, go to kamenocommons.com slash podcast. That's kamenocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.